Welcome to FIC Focus, where Bloomberg Intelligence fixed income, credit currency, and commodity strategists and analysts discuss their short and long-term views on debt markets and issuers. Now, here's the Bloomberg Intelligence FIC research team. Welcome to this Macro Matters edition of the FIC Focus podcast series. My name is Ira Jersey. I'm the chief U.S. interest rate strategist for Bloomberg Intelligence, the research arm of Bloomberg LP. With me today is one of our cousins over in Bloomberg Economics. Anna Wong joins us to discuss all things Fed and the U.S. economy and what things will look like going forward. Um, so, Anna, thanks very much for coming back on FIC Focus, number one. And number two, it's now February 1st. We had a Fed meeting yesterday, which... Uh, I, I don't know how shocking it was, but certainly Jay Powell was a little bit more explicit than he's been on some things than he has been in the past, but still left a lot of optionality open for the Fed on a going forward basis. Um, talk a little bit about what surprised you and kind of what didn't surprise you out of yesterday's meeting. Yeah, so I, I thought there were two main surprises. First one is the sea of red in the um, policy statement. So you have to know that usually the the FOMC uh, officials and the you know the staffs who suggested these uh, re uh, revisions on the uh, policy statement they usually try to be as minimal as possible. But what we saw yesterday is just massive cross out and uh um they did cross out the type the sentence um uh, that starts with in considering uh, any uh further tightening so that's the tightening bias sentence they got rid of that but uh they didn't need to really get rid of so many right they could have just tweak the first part of the clause just remove the uh considering any tightening bias, but they did, didn't need to cross out the entire, you know, consider the cumulative uh, uh, tightening and, you know, all that stuff. And so I thought that the the number, just a sheer number of revisions on the statement is by itself signaling that uh, what we are seeing is a definitive policy shift toward neutral stance. Um, now, the sentence that was surprising in this statement, as well as in the press conference, is the one that says in the statement that uh, they need, uh, uh, officials need greater confidence in order for, uh, to, to pursue decisions of rate cuts. And just the way that that sentence was written in the policy statement was sort of atypical. Um, uh, for the Fed. It's, uh, it's like a negation. It's not what we will do, but what they won't do, uh, right? It's, it's like a very unusual way of drafting the statement. And on top of that, it was um, very out of character for Powell to so openly uh, or admit that uh, uh, a decision is unlikely in the next meeting because what we have seen from him the last two uh, in the last two press conference so before yesterday was that he said uh, we would consider uh, rate cuts even before the uh, the core PCE 12 month change fall to two uh, because if you wait until um, the 12 month change in core PCE 
gets to two to cut rates, it will be too late. So that he has been telling us that in the last couple of meetings. And suddenly now uh, in, in yesterday's meeting, he's implying that, well, uh, six months is not in enough. Eight months of good data potential may not even be enough. But then between eight months to 12 months, he already previously told us uh, that 12 months is too long. So it really is sometime uh, between, you know, probably you need nine months, 10 months, or 11 months of data to have greater confidence. It's just very confusing. Um, um, so I'll stop at that. <laughs> <laughs> so and, and the market reaction was kind of interesting, at least in, in from my standpoint, because obviously you had equity markets started to fall. Now, granted, part of that was probably uh, due to some uh, fear about the banking regulations and, and the like. Um, and then at the same time, you had uh, the, the rate market initially sold off, particularly in the front end of the curve. And then uh, uh, and then you had a, a significant um a significant bear steepening, and uh, the market subsequently went back to where it was more or less before the two o'clock announcement by by day's end. Before you had a a pretty big rally, thanks to uh, quarter end or month end rebalancing flows that that occurred late in the day. Um, talk a little bit about some of the risks you think that the Fed is facing right now in terms of the economy, both to the downside and upside. I know you're you're looking at uh, an inertial Taylor rule suggesting that by by March and almost certainly by May that the, the Fed will be in a place where they'll have to be cutting, like you said, because of the year on year and, and just you know what those kind of rules suggest that they uh, that 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 the Fed should do, but but also go the other way. You know, we we saw a pretty decent ISM uh, new orders print this morning. You have some okay data. Now we don't know what tomorrow's um, NFP data is going to show, uh, and a lot of people listening to this might uh, might be listening after that print comes out. But be, but uh, but and and after we've recorded, obviously. So you know, but what are the risks both ways over the next six weeks for that that might cause the Fed to cut in March and then all. Also, on the other side, what might make them delay even longer? I know Bank of America came out and said that they now don't expect a uh, the first cut until June of this year. Um, you know, I personally am probably somewhere in between that. Like at May, uh, we've been been there a little while. Um, you know, so m mention those risks on both ways, right? Because it's not necessarily symmetric, but both of those risks I think do exist. Yeah. So so. First of all, we need to put Powell's uh, statement in context. Of course, the, the most noteworthy statement from him yesterday that he thinks there it's unlikely that they will cut interest rate in March given the current data. So I think the current data he's referring to, and this is what's driving his baseline, right? I think that the Fed is expecting that unemployment rate could uh, stay at about 3.8% in the first three months of this year, uh, whereas um, inflation, core PCE, could be heading to mid to high twos by March of this year. And um, so I think that's that's his base case of what will happen in the next two months. Uh, that would be the uh, uh, information that he will have in his hand by March. So the risks would be what would change the these two data points, the unemployment part and the inflation one, right? So um, the risk uh, in terms of upside inflation risk is actually not a, a thing that will happen in the next two months, in my, in my view. The 
higher inflation uh, risk actually would only materialize really at the end of this year. In the, in the last, if they do cut too early and inflation were to uh, surge again, that will only really show up in the last three months of this year or in early 2025. But I think everybody on the FOMC committee do believe that they have to start cutting before the last three months of this year. They can't wait until you know, inflation data research in next year to cut, right? They're not gonna wait that long. So um, there's sort of like this predetermined path already of how in inflation would behave in the next six months, just because that uh, rents will be driving uh, a lot of it. And uh, the, just by the way that uh, uh, CPI measures rents, uh, we know already that a lot of this is baked in. So this is why um, if you do any, you know, when we do forecast core PC in the next two months, I think there is a very high probability that uh, the 12th month change in core PCE would be in the low twos uh, by the March meeting, even with a little bit of acceleration in the monthly uh, uh, inflation rate compared to the last couple of months. So I think one should consider that, you know, engaging the, the likelihood of this upside inflation risk, there's this time horizon aspect of it that it, the upside would come well after it, it is a relevant decision for the Fed today. Now, on the other hand, in terms of downside risks to the labor market, it's an immediate thing because we are already seeing layoffs announcements surging in, uh, in January. And the Challenger report that just came out shows that the number of announcement, layoff announcement in January was the highest since January last year and before that uh, in 2020. Um, on top of that, lately we have been seeing plunges in the employment subsector, sub subcomponent in regional Fed survey. So I'm expecting that in the next page book, we are going to see more mentions of firms resorting to layoffs to cost cut. So I think this is the, the part where it, there's a certain urgency to it. And if the Fed waits, it is going to snowball. And I think there are some key members in the FOMC who, who are very well-versed in, uh, in the dynamics of labor market, someone like Mary Daly, right? Mary Daly is, uh, is the president of a district that's uh, where you're seeing massive amount of tech uh, layoffs right now. And he's also, she is also trained as a labor economist. And she had actually said, uh, last two months that you don't want to see that nonlinear effect of unemployment to, uh, kick in because once it happens, it could snowball really quickly. So they they understand the urgency of preempting this uh, further deterioration of labor market. Now, so in terms of the data flow that comes in between now and March, I think the key hurdle point is number one, tomorrow, uh, because I mean, tomorrow meaning Friday, February 2nd, because in this payroll report, there, there's going to be massive revisions for both the establishment survey, non-farm payroll, and the household survey. But what would be the most significant part is how the history of 2023 would be revised. Now, you know, this 
the, the birth death model has been responsible for 44% of all job gains in 2023, but particularly for the month of October 2023. In the benchmark process that we'll see in, in the uh, to be released payroll report, uh, these birth death factors will be reestimated. And if that uh, word that could uh, that could have the potential of reshaping the contour of the entire job market in throughout 2023. And, and our expectations is that it's going to show that hiring was actually softer in the second half of 2023 and coming into 2024. And there's even a possibility that one of those months would in fact see negative private payrolls. So I um, that's one hurdle point. And number two is that CPI revisions uh, due February 9th. And as you know, CPI goes into PCE inflation. And so, you know, last year the Fed has this nasty experience where they thought that there was so uh, a lot of disinflation going into 2022, but when the CPI revisions arrived, it turns out that all of that, that was wiped out. So they are very afraid that uh, history will repeat itself. That's why they're extra cautious right now. So until we have all the revisions for CPI post February 9th, uh, that's why that's one part of the greater confidence, uh, the, the, uh, one part of the data that will build greater confidence if we get past that point and it confirms the disinflation momentum com coming into uh, 2024. Great. So be, before we uh, run out of time here, I think that there's something else that is very important for us to mention. And that's some new products that we have. Um, so two new ones that are available on Beco Models. It's B-E-C-O space models on the Bloomberg terminal. Um, the first one that I'll mention very briefly is the Bloomberg Intelligence uh, risk neutral options distribution. So showing uh, what chances the options market is pricing for where interest rates are going to be uh, in the future on a, on a forward basis. So using a uh, options on SOFR futures, which is the replacement for LIBOR. Um, so that's a very exciting development. You can graph that and also look at how where that's been over the, the past year or so in terms of history and, and how well the options market did or didn't actually uh, anticipate uh, future price moves. But uh, importantly, in just this week, uh, Anna Wong and her team put out their own version of a natural language processing model that uh, that tries to gauge Fed sentiment using a slightly different methodology than what we do in Bloomberg Intelligence, but I think is very additive to the suite of uh, neural network uh, processes that we have for trying to assess the hawkish and dovishness of the Federal Reserve. So um, just to review the the, uh, the Bloomberg intelligence ones, uh, we do our model based on actual uh, text of speeches and text of um, uh, and, and text of the minutes and, and also the Powell's opening statement, um, that has the advantage of, of course, being complete in that it, we rank every single sentence as to whether it's hawkish or dovish or doesn't matter, and then we can create a hawk-dove score there. The challenge with that is that it's not in real time. It's also, uh, we, we can't do every single speaker because of the, uh, just the way that, uh, just the way that those, all of those data points would need to be input. Um, so we really only do that for Jay Powell and then the the opening remarks in the minutes. But Anna, your new NLP model is very exciting because you can take every single headline that comes over the Bloomberg terminal under the Fed speak mantra and determine whether or not that might be hawkish or dovish for the Fed and what that trend is. So talk a little bit about the model itself and then how you intend to use it going forward. 
Yeah, I mean, the, uh, the idea is inspired by, you know, a conversation I had with uh, one of our former Fed reporting uh, reporters, uh, leader, who told me that over his many years of experience uh, as a reporter, uh, report, uh, uh, filing Bloomberg articles on uh, Fed speak, that the moment he pressed the push button and filed that article, he started seeing 10-year yields moving. So the idea is that how do traders consume information about Fed speak, right? And and our 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 idea is that perhaps Bloomberg headlines uh, is, is is one of the key routes of how you know traders absorb this information. Not many people have access to a television where they watch this face-to-face -face interview between a Fed official, which is not transcribed into written form. And, you know, Fed speak can take many different forms. It could take the farmer's tweets. It could be essays. It could be uh, just a verbal interview. It could take, you know, testimony. And um, particularly, um, Reporters also have access to Fed uh, officials in the form of scrums, and so um, and that's not you know transcribed in public views, but that's only reported as a news article. So I think the advantage of our approach is that we want to take as comprehensive as possible the entire universe of Fed speak up there, whatever that our reporters deem uh, newsworthy will be reported. Um, and fortunately, you know, our, our index kind of corroborate what you have built as well, Ira, that, you know, we validated our index using your index and show that in fact, it often tracks the minutes uh, sentiment uh, very well, um, except that it's just more high frequency, right? And um, so I think those two NLP indices both tell, you know, give you a, um, uh, 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 a very similar view. In fact, I feel like your read uh, from the from the opening statement and, and uh, uh, from yesterday's meeting and our NLP read are quite similar. I think we both view it as slightly hawkish, correct? Yeah, yeah, that, that that's exactly right. So, and the 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 great thing about Anna's index and what we'll you know we'll be able to do in the future with it is, um, you know, use it in in things like fair value models and the like. So it so it has many more you know utilizations other than you know. Anna and I saying that hey, the the, uh, the Fed was more hawkish or more dovish, and of course the advantage is, like she said, is it takes in uh, a whole realm of things that the uh, the other models that we created a couple of years ago um, just can't possibly uh, can't possibly take into account. So it's a creative way to um, kind of get around the fact that we don't have complete data. So it, so it just enhances the entire data set. Um, so, so it's very exciting. You can find that at, again at Beco Models. That's B-E-C-O space Models Go at on the Bloomberg Terminal, and then you can find it under the Forecasts, uh, the, the Forecast tab, or excuse me, the the Sentiment Indicator tab. Um, the uh, the uh, the SOFR Options Distribution that I mentioned can be found under the Forecast tab. Anna, thanks very much for coming back on Fic Focus. Happy to be here. And with that, listener, thank you very much for listening. Until next time, be well.